been in kind of a spiritual slumber. But, but in my spirit, I, I sense God saying the time of harvest is upon us. The things are about to change. And, and, and that doesn't mean necessarily that, that he uh, is saying we're about to do something so different that it'll change everything. Not that we're the origin of that, but that he is. I, I sense that God is working in people's hearts to bring them to a ripe place to receive him and embrace him. And we're on the beginnings of seeing that. I'm, I'm, I would rarely count myself a prophet. But I feel that so strongly in my spirit, I can't help but speak it. And my question is, if the seasons are changing, are, are we ready for that? Tom Rayner has studied the church, and, and uh, he, he knows his statistics. And, and he says this about the church. And it's been true of the church, I think, for the last 30 years. He says that each year, each year on average, one person becomes a Christian in America for every 85 church members. Okay. I want, I, want, I want that math to seek in. One person of all of our confirmation classes, our kids coming up through our children's programs, our witness in the world, one person becomes a Christian every year for, 80, for every 85 people that are already church members. Not church attenders. People who have committed, who have walked an aisle, who have joined, who have belonged. I, I shudder at that statistic. I, I, I wonder if, if you sat with it very long, uh, where, where it would take you. That's so counter to uh, the work of the kingdom that we might expect. Uh, again, this morning, we're studying a parable that talks about the work of the kingdom. It's in Mark chapter 4. Verses 26 and 29. It happens to be the passage that comes just before, in Mark at least, the, the, the passage that we studied last week. Do you remember that about small things? We can all do small things with, with great love. Sowing little seeds of the kingdom that we entrust to God to do God-sized, God-seized stuff with, with, with our investments. It was an incredible uh, truth last week that we explored. And, and, and in doing so, we, we saw our role as a sower to continually, because we know God's in it, to continue, continually be a sower. Well, this, this passage precedes that in Mark. And it's only in Mark. It's not in any of the other Gospels. It, it's a similar passage, but, but it has a different emphasis. Look at chapter 4, verse I'm sorry, beginning with verse 26 with me. And he was saying, the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the ground and then goes to bed. At night, and he gets up by day, and the seed sprouts. It sprouts up and it grows. How, he himself doesn't know. 
The earth produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. And, and when the crop permits, that's an important phrase, I think. And when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle uh, because the harvest has come. Uh, how many of you have worked with a sickle this week? Anybody worked with a sickle? I, I didn't know. I thought about bringing in little sickles as object lessons so that we could all go into the world with a sickle. But I thought Homeland Security might show up if we did something like that. A sickle is a harvesting tool. It looks like a, a curved knife with a handle. And, and it's used to, to harvest the wheat, to cut the heads off of the wheat, to separate it uh, at the time of, of gathering in uh, uh, a sickle. I thought maybe, maybe I'd give everybody a popsicle today. And uh, sorry to let you down on that. We didn't prepare for that. Well, a sickle. And, and my question is, as God's ambassadors in the earth today, are, are, are we sickle ready? Uh, and, and, and Jesus uses here uh, a metaphor, a parable about how Barley grows. Uh, we know it's probably barley or wheat because by the end of it, he's identifying the plant as something that, that has a head to it and, and, and the grain matures in the head. Now, we don't know that in the beginning. In the beginning, it's just a seed that the guy sows. But by the end, we have a pretty good idea of what's going on and the picture becomes a little more full. And, and this, this as, is how it walks out. First, a human sows the seed, right? He sows the seed. He goes to bed. He wakes up. How the seed grows, he doesn't know. That's how, that's how the parable starts, right? So he sows the seed, and then the seed sprouts. And then after the seed sprouts, uh, the blade emerges. You know, the seed sprouts. You first see the little green popping its head above the dirt. And then the blade. You, that's kind of the picture in the background there. The, the leafy part of the tree starts, uh, of the plant starts to develop. And after the blade emerges, uh, then the head emerges. The top of the, the stalk at first has just a, it's kind of just a little hairy bulb looking thing. You know, there's no grain in it yet, but it, but it comes to a head at the top. And then after the head emerges, the grain in the head starts to mature uh, until eventually the, the little kernels of the grain show. And then the next step is, and I think it is a next step. There's not just grain in the head, but the grain in the head has to mature to the point that it's ready to harvest. And, and when the crop permits, then the human harvest, it's sickle time. Now, the, the parable doesn't emphasize anything that happens between the sowing and the sickling. I guess that's a verb. The sowing and the, sick, and the sickle time, right? The, the parable just says the guy who sowed the seed, he's sleeping and he's waking and he's sleeping and he's waking. And how the thing grows is completely dependent upon the mystery of the soil into which he's entrusted it and, and, and God's design to, to pull that out. We're, we are not in control of how it grows. Every farmer could tell you that. If he planted a seed and then went out every day to see how it was doing and dug it back up, it would never get anywhere. He depends upon all that mystery that's beyond him to mature that seed which he has sown. And, 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 and we have to respect God's work in other people's lives that way. We may sow seeds, but we can't make up their minds for them. We, we can give them things to consider, but it's the Holy Spirit that has to convict the heart. 
We can't force anyone to think the way we think. That's what makes the understanding of how the faith is shared as a Christian different from almost every other religion, especially from Islam. Islam says, believe or I take your life. Jesus said, I lay down my life that you might believe. Totally different approach. It couldn't be more 180 degrees different. But when the crop permits, when God has been doing something, working within that person, and they come to that point that they are eager to to lean into God, to to check this out for themselves, to trust it personally themselves, then, then when the crop permits, when the crop is in that posture again, then the human partner needs to come along, that guide, that stepping alongside, that helps make that stepping across the line of faith something that's uh, tangible and real and, and, and partnered. Uh, and the human is once again involved in the sickle time. Now, when the crop permits, next slide. When, when the crop, isn't this interesting? I found this on the internet this week. This, this is a modern day banner on a farm site. Growth staging of wheat, barley, and wild oat. A strategic step to timing of field operations. So apparently in farming today, this is still a big deal. The, the, the sequencing of this, the, the being aware of this, the observing in the crop where it is in the development is key to how we can respond and partner with it. Even, even today, now I'm no farmer. I had to look all this stuff up on the internet. But, but I was surprised at that. And maybe you saw this in, in biology class when you were a kid. The, the way, there's a little seed. You can't see it on the far left side. And if you touch, yeah, there's the seed, and then it becomes a sprout, and then the sprout becomes a blade, and then the blade becomes the head. See the head up at the top? And then the head gradually matures within it, the grain of the head, and then finally it comes to harvest. How do you know that it's time for harvest? When does the crop permit? It's a fascinating thing to me. You know that a barley crop is ready to harvest when the head of the barley stalk bows. That to me is just so cool. Only God could have worked that in. He knew Jesus was going to make a parable about this. Someday, let's make barley do this. It's just so amazing to me that, that, that the barley, when it's rich, see how, how it, that, that is a field ready for, there's something about that progression that I don't know, I don't know if it's the stalk, uh, you know, starts to wither and when it gets near harvest time and, and it's not as strong, so it can't, or, or the head gets so mature and, and, and so full, so heavy that, that it starts to bend over. But there's something about the whoop that says time for harvest. And, 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 and I think in, in people's lives, as we're watching what God is doing in other people's lives, there may be moments where we need to be sensitive to what just happened. And, and, and I don't know a foolproof way to spot it, see. But, but if this is how the kingdom works, I, I think it makes sense for us to spend a little time working with that. If God's counting on us to be the sowers and then he's going to do his part, probably it's more driven by what he does than what we do after that. And, you know, and, and the truth of the matter, between the sowing and the sickling, there may be some cultivating, there may be some watering, there may be some weeding. I, I don't know. But this parable doesn't mention any of, that, any of that. Before he starts talking about sowing, the other parables that the other gospels talked about, Mark 
wants to also emphasize, hey guys, you're not just involved in sowing. Now that's what we typically do. That's what we do 90% of the time. And that is our role, perhaps 90% of the time in the season of America that we've been in. But I'm telling you, I think I feel prompted by the Spirit to say that season is changing. We need to continue to sow seed, sow seed, sow seed, acts of loving kindness, loving on our neighbor, being as Christ wherever we are. But I also believe a season is coming and is now upon us where the church more than ever before is going to be the sickle bearers. And I don't think it's going to be dependent upon preachers and church services. I think where the harvest is going to be happening is going to be all around us. It's going to happen at work and it's going to happen at lunch with a friend and it's going to happen at sporting events. It's going to happen on conversations going here and there. But I don't think it's going to be the result of some big grand awakening like it was in the past with a John Wesley or some great figure that becomes the spokesperson by which conviction comes upon a generation. I, I, I just don't sense that. I sense that it's going to be us in the field recognizing that harvest has come. When the crop permits. Next slide. Now, I, I, I wish figuring that out was easy. You know, like maters. Aren't maters easy? All you have to, Red. You know, it's like God said, okay, tomatoes are going to be difficult. Who knows what's going on inside of tomato? I'm going to make it easy. When it turns red, pick the thing. I, I don't know. Can, can, you, can you imagine a more simple signal? Now, don't you wish that people, when they were ripe, for a relationship with Christ would just turn red? <laughs> wouldn't that make life simple? Oh, I see you're red today. Let me talk to you about Jesus. You know, wouldn't that that'd be so, so much easier? But, but if you'll see on the vines behind her, she's got a bunch of red apples, apparently she, uh, red apples, red tomatoes, and, and she seems to be eyeing that one on, on the left uh, up there, don't you think? But, but the but there's a lot of tomatoes that are not being picked. The crop has not yet permitted. Right? There's a timing to our partnership with God that's, that's important. That's critical if we're to be um, fruitful partners in uh, his field. Harvesters. Abiding harvesters. Isn't that what we're... Now, that guy's holding a sickle. But I want to get away from the maters back into the field. That's where this parable is taken. So let's get back in the field. There's a sickle. In fact, here's an up close of a sickle. There you go. Yeah, that's why we didn't want Homeland Security in here. But, but, but before you leave today, I, I, I want to give you a metaphorical sickle to leave with. Okay? An actual tool in your hand uh, for this season uh, that I think has come upon us. So many things here I, I think we could talk about as abiding harvesters. That's, that's really who we want to be. We sow. We sow into people's lives. We care. We do acts of loving kindness, uh, acts of justice. We're, we're, we're people that are trying to live as Jesus would live in the place where we live with all those around us. Letting him live through us in such a way that they get a glimpse of his, re- his love and they can accept it as real. Um, but, 
But though we are seed sowers, that does not mean, folks, we, we control what happens. In other words, when I said a few weeks ago that I felt led, I, I, I asked God what would really excite me in the next year and what would excite him, what would be on that page that we could look forward to together. And I felt in my spirit 20 souls, 20 brand new souls into the kingdom. Now, that in, 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 light of, in light of the statistic I shared earlier, that is a daunting challenge, right? One out of every 85 members is the typical That's daunting. But if God's in it, that's kind of anemic. 20. Uh, But but, but we have to recognize as we sow, as we love, there's there's often a a lot of sowing that goes on before we ever get to a place that we we might recognize that a a heart that maybe we've been sowing into, a life, a neighbor, a a friend that, that we've been sowing God's love into has finally come to the point that they're starting, instead of pushing away from those expressions of love, they're they're starting to receive it. You can almost see the crook in their brow. What is this about? And and, and they start leaning in. I I, I don't know how to describe it more helpfully, but, but there comes a place in our friends' lives where the inside posture changes. Does that make sense? Where instead of pushing away and being questionable and being skeptical, there's an inside posture that goes, tell me more about that. You know, I, I, I wish they just turned red. But, but that's not often the case. But I do believe that there is a, a, a kind of, uh, of staging, if you will. How faith grows in someone else, God only knows. We can contribute to it, but we can't make it happen. We can't put somebody in a formula and say, God has to do this because we've done that. I don't think it works that way. I think God is as mysterious and personal with every single person about how he ripens the seeds that have already been sown in their heart. I know if we just told our stories around this room, we would recognize the same farmer in all the stories, but I bet none of the stories would be exactly alike. And and only God is that vast to be that intimate. But that's one of the things I think that makes, as we tell our stories, it that much more convincing that it's God that's at work in us, not just us that's in work in us. I think he does it that way perfectly. How faith grows, it says here, God only knows. And it's important for us sometimes to respect growth's mystery. I learned from my dad. This is something that he probably just said in passing uh, that struck me with such wisdom. I was a youth director, and I, 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 we, we had seen a lot of the, the good kids get serious about Christ, and they were growing. But, but I was asking God for some of the bad kids to have a life change. You know what I'm saying? We, 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 our youth group had grown to the point that there was, there was a reality of Christ in our midst and a real growth and a real cohesion. And, and, and Jesus was there, and it was fantastic. And we had a bunch of friends coming that had not a clue what was going on. They just thought, this is kind of cool and different. Where's the jello? And they, you know, that, that they, they were coming. And, but, but, but a lot of these kids were, were not Christians, had not even thought about being Christians, but they were just coming for the fun. 
you know? And I was all into that. But I was wanting, I was asking God, how, 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 how do we get them to own this new way of life? Not just as being, well, that's what y'all do. Good for you. But to own it for themselves. For, for the them to become the we from their perspective, right? Uh, and... and and dad told me something that was really, I was pushing. Every single time I would talk, I would have an altar call and I'd look at those kids. <laughs> you know, I, and I, was, I was, you know, I watched how my Baptist brothers did it. They were much better than I was. And we'll sing another chorus of just as I am. We'll keep going, you know. And I, I was doggone point, by gosh. I was praying for those kids and they were going to come into the, and I'd look at them and they'd go, just as, you know, and, and it wasn't working. And, and, and dad said, you know, son, sometimes it's important to present the gospel. And when you present the gospel, I think it's a sin if you don't give an invitation. I also think it's a sin if you give an invitation and you don't present the gospel. But he says, I, I think it's a sin if you don't give an invitation. But sometimes it's okay to give people something to, to consider and back off and give them room to deal with it. Not just push, 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 push all the time. Give them room to try it on. Give them room to decide what they think about it. You might do a teaching series for several weeks and, 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 and not give any kind of push, right? But back off and, and let them think about it. Respect the fact that only you can sow seeds, but you cannot make the plant grow. Right? You didn't design that seed. That seed has God within it. God's in that other person. In fact, they wouldn't have any spiritual kind of interest whatsoever if God wasn't already at work in their lives. John 6, 44. No one comes to the Father, and no, no one comes to me unless God the Father who sent me draws them. Is there any drawing going on? If, if there's some drawing going on, that's as good as... Red and a mater. God is at work. Now, they, they, they may not be ripe for a decision yet, but we, we've got to give some room, show some respect for having presented the gospel, presented the truth, spoken from our heart, encouraged a brother or sister, planted a seed of love, and then, and then back off to let God do. What, or we're that farmer that plants the seed and goes back the next day and goes, I wonder if it's grown any. Oh, no. And you know what I mean? Disturbs that seed every day, wondering if it's grown a little bit. And of course, it never grows. Uh, we, we have to respect gross mystery. Uh, but, but I think people also, just like the, the sprout and the blade and the head and the grain in the head and the grain coming. To, I, I think there's, there's kind of stages in people's growth towards Christ. And we've talked about these stages before. Do you remember them? And you see how the posture changes from the cynic. Don't get near me with that Christian stuff. You know, kung fu fighter on one end, that's the cynic. That's the kind of person that not only doesn't believe the gospel and doesn't trust the messengers of Christ, but is probably antagonistic and ticked off that you would even bring it up. They've they've been there, done that, gotten the t-shirt. They know that the church is false. They've been there. Somebody's hurt them. They've heard something on the radio. Their granddad died when they prayed to God to save him, and he died. And there's something there that is, forget this. 
And I don't, I, any of you ever met somebody like that? That, that is just cynical in their approach. And, th- and then there's the skeptic. And the skeptic is, is, is a cynic that isn't quite as ticked off, basically. A, a skeptic is someone who says, I don't know about all that stuff. I've got all these questions. I don't have any of these answers. And my questions sound a lot better than your answers. And, and, and they've, you know, they're just, not for me. That's your, not for me. And, and then the posture changes not from, from this to, okay, okay, that's for you. I understand that. That's good for you. Good for you. Good for you. You. Not, has nothing to do with me, right? Uh, that's something other people do. Interesting. Interesting. They'll come to church and they'll fold their hands and they'll go, hmm, interesting what these people think, you know? Uh, and and they're, they're not antagonistic. They're happy for you to have your little Jesus moment. God bless you. What's for lunch? You know, they, they just don't see any relevance of what may have been said 2,000 years ago, what it might have to say to them, that it's relevant to them. Now, they don't get it. All this stuff just feels like make-believe. None, none of it's real. And, and, and the spectator, more than anything else, wants to know the real. See, they're not really sure if there's a God or if there's not a God. But if there is a God, they want to experience that God authentically for themselves. They, they want to know what's real. They want to know what you're teaching is relevant to real life. And they just don't quite see it yet, right? So they need the real and they need the relevant. The skeptic needs to have his questions taken seriously. Because quite often they are good questions. Quite often they are questions for which there is no answer. But a skeptic needs to have his questions taken seriously because until they are, they won't seriously consider an answer. The cynic usually just need, they need to be apologized to. You know, you're probably right. I, I'm sorry your Christian friend did that to you years ago. That must have broken the heart of God. What, you're not defensive? No, we Christians, we get it wrong lots of times, and I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. That just totally messes up the radar of a cynic. You're not pushing. You're transparent and real. You apologize for the way we've gotten it wrong. I think God's heart was broken more than anyone else's when you went through that. In fact, the scripture says that he weeps with those who weep and we're to weep with those who weep. When your granddad died, he was with you, weeping with you. He did with Mary and Martha when Lazarus died. You know, the, all, all those cynics have usually misunderstood the heart of God and they misunderstood the messengers of God. And we have to begin with an apology. With the skeptic, we have to take them seriously and offer real answers, real things to consider, real evidence to consider again. Spectators, you have to give them a sense of relevance and, and the real in order for them to, to trust this, to lean into it, to become a real seeker. You mean there's more to this? You mean some of the evidence actually tends to uh, fill in the picture that faith is a, a possibility that you don't have to check your mind at the door to really embrace. And, and, and then they become a seeker. And when a seeker is a seeker, they are looking for answers for themselves. And all they really need at that point is a guide, someone who can come alongside and give them the books, give them the tapes. Uh, let's go 
hear this and see if that answers any of your questions. You don't have to be the know-it-all. You don't have to answer all the questions. You just have to become a partner in their quest for finding the answers. And some of the answers you may find, some of the answers you may not, but more than anything else, they need someone who is not going to judge them as they ask honest questions and they seek out their answers. Someone who knows what it is to sow a seed and to leave God some room, right? A guide, a guide. And and then at that point, uh, when they come to the cross of decision themselves, that's when, that's when the, the posture is changed from, listen, cynic, kung fu fighter, to skeptic, don't know if I can buy all this, to spectator, hmm, interesting for you, to seeker, does this really have merit? Could this really apply to me? How, how is it that, that this could be my experience? Uh, do, do you see the, do you, do you see the, the posture changing? See, and you're almost to that point where someone goes, and how is it that I, right? But because m- m- most people want that to be an authentic moment. They want to know it's something they didn't just do in their head. They they want it to be a stake in reality. And so it's valuable to them to walk through that experience with somebody they know and they trust is really walking with God. Right? And God uses us at that that sickle moment. Uh, And then on the other side, I don't have time for this. But on the other side of it, you don't start growing just when you become a Christian. Then you really... Get ready to grow. You're born as a spiritual infant and you become spiritual children, youth, parents. We've talked about that. Don't have time for it this morning. We're talking about the growth up into the point of the harvest. Okay, so we're going to go right past that. Okay, so do we notice those maturing steps? Well, what happens between the sowing and the sickling? That, that farmer apparently has been paying attention. How else does he know that it goes from sprout to blade, to head, to mature head, to mature grain in the head, to the moment of the bowing. Though the farmer isn't making anything happen, the one with the sickle is one that's very attentive to what's going on. They, they, They look for signs of what's going on in that internal posture It's not as obvious as a mater becoming red. But there's movement. And sometimes it's forward and sometimes it's back. And it's not always as as clear and as as smooth as uh, that coming to the maturity of the the grain in in a plant. But, But there seems to be a spiritual development that goes on even before that point of decision. And those who are harvesters are, are sensitive to it. In, in the study that we're going to be doing called The Case for Christ, the two who are kind of the, well, the leader of the study is a guy who used to be an atheist. His name is Lee Strobel, and he was the um, law editor, what a, the editor for... Um, Legal Affairs, that's what it is. The editor for Legal Affairs at the, uh, at the Chicago Tribune, the largest newspaper outlet between the coasts in Chicago. 
And he, by his own description, would describe himself as antagonistic to the gospel at this point in his life. He would have claimed to have been an atheist, but he was more than an atheist. He was antagonistic, suspicious, thought it was a bunch of hullabaloo, and there was people deluding themselves and a bunch of wishful thinking and nothing to be counted on and nothing to be taken seriously. And then all of a sudden, his wife, who was not herself a skeptic as he was, but was a spectator, was, she said, I was just confused. I did not know what to believe. And she said, where my husband needed rational argument and evidence to even consider the faith, I so wanted to know if there was a real God. Do you hear the language of the spectator? I wanted so to know if God was real. And if God was real, could I experience him? That I went to church. And thank God she went to the right church. She went to a church called Willow Creek Community Church, a church that um, focuses on being relevant to people who have yet to understand or embrace the gospel in any way. And she she went there and she started having experiences with God herself. And, And those experiences became so real for her that she came to the point that she, with a friend, gave her life to Christ and became a Christian. All this she could not tell her husband She had no idea how he was going to react to it. Lee, the the skeptic, cynical uh, newspaper editor, right? But but she just started living the faith at home. And, And Lee saw Leslie's life so subtly redirected with the way she treated him, with the way she treated the kids, with the joy that was now in her life. He asked her, what is going on with you? And she says, well, I'm going to church now. And he says, you can't tell me going to church is the reason for all this. She says, well, not exactly. I've actually become a Christian. And he went, oh, my God, she drank the Kool-Aid, you know. He is is shocked. He is concerned. He thought, oh, my gosh, we had a happy marriage. And now my wife is going to become this religious prude nut. Great. Just great. And she says, well, would you go to church with me? And he says, no, I'm not going to church. And then later on, he rethought it, and he thought, Wow, you know, her, her life really is winsome. But this can't be, you know, no way. This is. So he took his, you know, his notepad, his little reporter notepad, going to get to the bottom of this story and debunk this cult that she was now a part of and get her the heck out of it. So he went to the first uh, church service and the pastor preached on basic Christianity, just laid the whole thing out there. And he realized he wasn't a Christian when he left. He didn't believe anything the guy had to say. But he did come to the realization that if what he was saying was true, then he had a huge reassessment to do about reality. A seed was planted. So what's a journalist do with that seed? He investigates. He investigates is what he does. And he had just finished up, strangely, in God's timing, he had just finished up a story in the Chicago Tribune where a convicted uh, shooter of a policeman had been retried. And it was retried because he, along with the grand jury, got a tip from an informant 
that said that this person that had been convicted of shooting a police officer in the city of Chicago was framed by the police officer because the police officer had an illegal gun in his pocket. He had a pen gun, one of those guns that looks like a pen but can actually shoot a bullet. And he had one of those pens in his pocket when this guy wrestled with him. And when they were wrestling with one another, the pin gun had gone off and shot the officer. But because the officer didn't want to get in trouble for carrying an illegal gun, he blamed the shooting on the person as if he had intentionally shot him. No gun was ever found. But it was only that guy and the police officer that were there. So if he was shot, who had to shoot him? So the guy was convicted without you know, under with the jury and all that kind of stuff. But now this new evidence, a pen gun? Well, and then Strobel started examining the evidence. He looked up the, the, the details about the entry wound of, of, the, of the bullet, that it was weird, that it went down through his body instead of this way. It went, th- and it, that didn't quite, and the gun was never found. And so eventually he finds all this stuff that's a, a, a part of the story and He reinterprets it with this new information, and he comes up with a completely different conclusion for what happened. Isn't it just like God to give him that experience just before he's about to consider all this evidence about Christianity that he'd already made a conclusion on? You can't can't make that stuff happen. No farmer can work that into any seed. You see what I'm saying? The driving force behind this is not us, but God uses us, and, and what happens? And so Lee Strobel then goes on a two-year investigative rant into Christianity. And what we're going to be studying is what he discovered as he went. I can't imagine a study that's more helpful to someone who doubts the faith, who is skeptical of faith, than a case for Christ that we're going to be studying. Now, those of us who are sickle-ready, need that information to know how to approach our skeptical friends. But this is the kind of study that assumes that the people who come are not already convinced. So it's the perfect environment for somebody, if you have a friend and you just want to bring them to this study, y'all can discover this stuff as you go. And because you're doing it in a class, when you get to the sickle moment, they've already got a guide. You with me? Uh, So I hope this isn't the only time we do this. 17 people have already signed up for it. More people are telling me they're interested in it. That's never happened quite that way in this church before. That many people being interested in an evangelistic apologetic study quite like that. I think we're in a new season. Are we sickle ready? Here it is. This is your sickle. I want you to think of a sickle this morning as a question mark. As you look at it, right? Is that right? Yeah, as a question mark, you've got the sickle and you've got a point, right? As a part of a question mark. When you realize that someone has come to the point that they're leaning in, that they're asking questions. And I've had people, God's so good at this, you can't hardly mess it up. I know. I've come real close. I was with a friend that I'd been a part of a small group with for about two years. It was a men's accountability group, and we would share transparently and real. It wasn't a part of our church. It was outside our church. It was a place where I could be totally transparent and, and, and not have people go, oh, but you're a pastor. You know, it, it, was, uh, it, it was totally transparent. Uh, I know that I need that kind of grit in my discipleship 
profile. And, and I was hanging out with these guys, and two or three of these guys uh, happened in this group not to be Christians. And one of them was dating or was married to a woman who was a Jehovah's Witness. And so for him, this whole religious thing was just really whacked, right? And, and uh, I'll call him Ted. Ted, Ted, uh, Ted always had a lot of sarcasm whenever spiritual things came up. And if I was in the group, spiritual things are going to come up, not because I'm so spiritually courageous, but because it's just so much a part of me, it just it, it kind of gets messy that way. And, and, and we had talked several times, you know, and I realized where he was, and I was respecting his power to make his own decisions about life, you know. I was doing real good with the sowing, not expecting to reap every time, just sow, sow. And, so, and one day, he, he followed me out to the car after this group in the middle of the parking lot, dark, cold. I'm wanting to get to my car. He, 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 we're walking along, and he didn't usually walk me to the car, but he's walking me to the car, and he says, so how, how do you know that God has forgiven you? And I am so thick that I didn't hear or see this, Right? I'm thinking, oh, it's a theological question. I've got one of those in my pocket somewhere. What's the answer to that? So I give him a little answer. Hey, man, good night. Have a great night. Good to see you. We'll see you next week, right? Yeah. And he says, no, 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 no. He says, he says I, don't, I don't mean how do you know that you're forgiven. I'm asking how do you know that you're forgiven? I said, oh, you're, you're asking me how do you know? You, you mean how do you know that you're forgiven? You right here, right now know that you're forgiven? And he said, yeah, that was my question. And I was like, duh. Here I am, a pastor, and a guy is asking me, in his words, how do I become a Christian? And I am totally missing it. I'm ready to go to the car and get warm, right? And so all of it, it was like God had to go, dingo, wake up, you know? And, 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 it, and it, oh, and I was so... That is such a holy moment. If you've ever been there with a friend, uh, I panicked. I was like, oh, okay. And I'm trying to remember what, Lord, this is the moment. This is the moment. Where do I start? What do I do? What do I say? How do I get him across the line? And I am a pastor. I've done this several times. I've preached on it many other times. But the truth of the matter is, over my lifetime, I have probably personally helped people cross the line of faith less than a dozen times. And I'm your pastor. How many times have you helped someone cross the line of faith? Are we sickle ready? I want us to be. And what came back to me in that moment was something from vacation Bible school. A, B, C. Acknowledge your sin. Believe Jesus died for you to forgive you and commit your life to him in a holy covenant, making him your savior and your Lord. A, B, C. Acknowledge your sin. Believe in Jesus. Commit your life. A, B, C. What's A? B, C, now, that's not perfect, and there's other ways to come at it. But that was the point. That, that, that's, in, in my simple thinking, 
That, that movement in prayer with a friend is the point of crossing the line of faith. A, B, C. When it comes down to that point, that'll do, right? That'll do. He, he was leaning forward. He, he was wanting to know how he could be forgiven. Do you see this in, in his question? And I'd missed it. You'd have probably gotten it. You would have said that guy is ripe as a tomato, but it was slipping right past me. You, you'll talk to other people and, and they'll say things like that. Say, they won't say, hey, I want to become a Christian. Can you tell me how? This is what they'll say. They'll say, man, I, I wish I could count on something to change my marriage. They'll, they'll say something like this. They'll say, wow, I, I wish I was as confident about God as you are. They'll, they'll say things like that. And if you have the spiritual eyes to see it, you can explore in that moment if what you're hearing is this. Right? I, I, Lord, I don't know how. Lord, if I knew how, I... I'd consider taking that step, but I don't know how. Do you, do, do you see? And, and, and at that moment, if you sense that, a great way to probe it is just with the question part of the, sick, of the sickle. And uh, Jesus, big sickle, J. Mention the name. W- would you like a relationship with Jesus that you could count on? I don't care how you ask it. But ask it. Or... Where are you in your life with Jesus? How, how, how do you want to be connected to Jesus? It's, it's, it's the sickle. It's the door. It's the point of entry. And it's always that issue. What do you want to do with Jesus? And if they, do you think you're ready to trust him? Are you ready to say yes to Jesus? Yes to believing him? Yes to belonging to him. Yes to becoming like him. Are you ready to say yes to Jesus? Where are you? Ask the question. Be ready for the point of decision. That is your sickle. It's something you carry in your heart. It's something you're always ready to do. And I pray that as you leave here today, that we have become in some ways more sensitive to this process in our friends, not just sowing the kingdom, but being God's harvesters when we see those moments might be upon us. I think the seasons are about to change. And I think God wants us not just as a pastor and not just in church moments, but wherever we go. If I was God and I had an army of people ready with the sickle at that moment that someone else in my world is wanting to lean in, I would, do, I would move heaven and earth to get you and that person together. I think it's going to happen. I think for some of you it will happen this week. When it happens, would you email me, call me, let me know that we can testify to what God is doing in our midst? Would you do that? You are sickle ready. And God is ripening a harvest. Let's pray.
Lord God, we pray that we really would be ready, that we would be your workers in your field and help us never to tire of sowing, but God, also make us sensitive to those moments that those around us might be at that place, that they could take that step towards you if they just had a guide. Make of us, Lord God, those guides. Open our eyes, Father. We ask it here that in your world all this week and in the weeks to come, we would have eyes and hearts sensitive to speak your name. Let it be so in the name of the one who sends us into the harvest. Thank you, Lord God. Send us forth in your power, we pray. Let's stand and sing this song of dedication to our Lord.